Well, good morning and welcome to series number two, actually lesson number two in our spiritual warfare series. And I invite you to take God's Word this morning and turn to Ephesians chapter 6 because you're going to need your Bible. I did not put it on the screen. I, I stagger back and forth between screening you to death, encouraging you to either bring a screen or to bring a Bible, okay? So I hope you brought one this morning. A quick story. No one was more respected as a military genius during World War II than the American General George S. Patton. Field Marshal Erwin Rommel, whose clever tactics earned him the nickname the Desert Fox. Rommel's success on the sun-scorched desert of North Africa was renowned, yet Patton was able to lure him into a trap that resulted in the defeat of the German troops. Patton outfoxed the fox uh, to bring about a major shift in the war that led to the ultimate Allied victory over Germany. Someone asked Patton, what prepared you to successfully defeat your cunning enemy? When Patton was asked the question, he reportedly said to Rommel, I read your book. There was a military maneuver called flanking. Instead of going straight forward in the army, you went around to the side and you penetrated. And once you penetrated, you didn't stop. You pounded and pounded and pounded until you won. And Patton outfoxed the fox. I have read your book. In the same way, believers need to read the book. As we study our Bible, we become increasingly aware of the strategies used by our unseen enemy, known as Satan, and his spiritual forces of evil. Now, last week, I introduced this series as a little deep. Some people uh, may have been a little alarmed. Our purpose here is not to alarm you. We have a defeated foe. We have a lion who's seeking to devour, but he has false teeth. And his teeth are out. And he is on a chain. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, just remember this. And by the way, if you get this, it's, it'll be a blessing to you that the devil is God's devil. In other words, he's on a chain. And he doesn't do anything that God doesn't allow him to do. Now, I asked my wife for a quarter this morning because I, I meant to do this. And I forgot to put one in my pocket. But I want to illustrate something that happens in the Christian life. As a matter of fact, uh, C.S. Lewis made this out pretty good. But the truth never yet remains. When you compare Satan to God, I want to, you to imagine this quarter compared to the sun. God is a non-created being. He never had time, never had a beginning. Satan is a fallen angel who is, in fact, created. We'll talk about that a little bit more in another message. But a lot of times, and this is true in our life, if you take that quarter and you close your left eye and you take this and you put it right up here, you can get it so close to your eyeball that you can block out the sun. And you can focus so much on this little quarter that in your mind, that quarter is bigger than the sun. But if you take that quarter and you pull it away and put it in perspective, you realize we are focusing on the wrong thing. We need to be aware of the strategies of our enemy. We need to know him. We need to know how he acts. But at the same time, our focus needs to be on God and his word so that we are not surrounded and encaptured by fear 
encaptured by things that want to defeat us. So we have to get in God's Word to find these truths out. They are not ingrained in your life. You have to learn them and you have to believe them by faith through the written Word. Now, I did put this one text on the screen for you because this is our springboard. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, Paul writes this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He has plenty, by the way. Stand against the schemes. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the cosmic powers over the darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In other words, our warfare is not what we see with our eyes. Tony Evans says that we need a sixth sense, a spiritual sense, when doing battle in the war. He says we must employ that which goes beyond the physiology and address the spiritual root before we can truly fix the physical fruit. The first thing that we need to know is where this battle takes place. So I want to share five things this morning about the battle that is in heavenly places. That is where our battle is fought, by the way. So how do we as believers understand this? Five truths about spiritual warfare. Number one's fairly simple, and we've pounded on it quite a bit. Our battle is with spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places that are opposed to God. Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle against these. Now next week, I'm going to actually take you on a little bit of a journey. Uh, There's a little bit of, uh, and we'll talk about this more next week, but it's about the fall of Satan. Now there are a lot of people who believe that Satan's fall is described in two Old Testament passages, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. There's a problem. There's a huge problem. I had a colleague who actually wrote a a hard defense against making Isaiah, the Isaiah passage, refer to Satan's fall. That is referring still, uh, he believes, to a future tribulation Babylonian ruler. So we'll talk about that. Just just light now. I've got to keep it light and lively here. But then you get into Ezekiel chapter 28 and you're talking to a king, but then it seems like it shifts to a power behind the king. But here's the point. Somewhere along the line, God created the angelic host. Whatever you want to call it, principalities, powers, God created these things. And this is what most believe. They believe that Satan was a guardian cherub or a guardian angel, maybe not a cherub, but a spirit being, And he is believed to be the one who would bring the worship into the presence of God. This created being, by the way, angels are not like people. They don't have aunts and uncles. You need to know this, by the way. They don't have brothers and sisters. They're all created individually. And there's no relationship between them as far as being kinfolk. So when... God decided to make man and woman in his image to be his image bearers and to be those who were to have dominion over the earth. It is believed that somewhere before that happened, while worship was being brought to God, that, you know, Satan, the Lucifer, not Lucifer, Satan or the devil, enjoyed that and decided he wanted a little bit for his own. 
And obviously, he began to receive that worship, and he wanted to take it from God. And he, according to Revelation, lured about one-third of the angelic world to follow him in a rebellion against God. And what did that result in? It resulted in them being kicked out of third heaven and ruling in the second heaven, what we would call the stellar heaven and the part that NASA and everybody wants to see. Now, we know from the book of Job and other places that Satan has access all throughout the stellar heavens. If you read Second Peter, one day God is going to purgate the second heavens with fire. And he also will purgate the earth. I'm getting off on another issue. But the point here is that he is going to take care of their current abode. But they have power over this earth because I told you last week there was apparently some kind of a deal worked out where if the enemy could cause mankind to fall, then he would have the power of this world. And that's why the New Testament tells us that friendship with the world is hatred toward God. Satan himself is called the God of this age, the God of this world. And that's why we are commanded by the New Testament, do not love the world or the things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Why? Because those are the same three things that caused man to fall originally, and those are the things that will distract you and destroy your life. That's next week's sermon, by the way. Now back to this week's, because are you ready to be blessed today? Are you? Okay, good. I've got one person here that's ready. This is an encouraging message, by the way, because we need to know this. Satan does not want us to know this. He does not want you to know this. The battle is in heavenly places, but we need to know this. Uh, Look at number two up here on the screen, which you can't see because the letters are too small. Our, our, Our first point and our truths is that the battle is fought in heavenly places, but I want you to look at the second point. We've already been blessed by our Savior in heavenly places. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1. Remember your homework last week? People don't like homework in church, but I give it to you anyway because if you really want to be blessed, this is what you've got to do. You've got to get into God's Word. Look at Ephesians 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you all reading with me? If you're not reading with me, you're going to miss this. You need to put your finger on your text. And you need to say, Lord, I need to know this. Wake me up. Help me pay attention here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Where? In the heavenly places. Where, where is our battle against the forces against God? Go ahead and say it. In the heavenly places. Where have you as a believer, where have you been blessed? Okay, now explain that to me. Are y'all, you going to explain it to me? Or you want me to explain it to you? Okay, let's, let's let Paul explain it to you. Because my opinion doesn't matter. Worth a hill of beans, it's about just like yours. It doesn't matter. But the point is, you have already been blessed in the place where the spiritual warfare takes place, and he doesn't want you to know this. The enemy does not want you to know what I'm getting ready to read right now. What is it? Okay, let's read it. Number one, even as he chose us in 
in Him, or in Christ, before the foundation of the world. Now, do you see that phrase? He chose us in Him. Do you know for some reason that bothers some Christians? Can, can I share something with you this morning? Please stop letting that bother you. Don't try to understand it. Just accept it. That, that God is God and you're not. And neither is another preacher or anybody else. And God can't learn anything and there's nothing God can't know. God knows both actual and He knows possible. And God has a great plan in the future and God has plotted it out. He knows what He wants. And He chose us in Christ. What does the text say? Before the foundation of the world. Now just stop right there. Don't start asking questions. Don't get lost in all the sauce because you don't know it. I don't know it. And nobody else knows it. Don't get off on, well, who did Christ off? You see what the enemy wants to do? He wants to absolutely just pull your mind in another direction. Listen to these words. He chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. He knows everything about you, sin, warts, and all. And yet He set His love on you and marked you out to be His own. And if you know yourself like I know myself, that is the most humbling thing in the world. Even this past week as I was thinking about this, I thought, Lord, why me? Why, why me? Why a wretch like me? And yet He still loved me before the foundation of the world. Look at this. That we should be holy and blameless before Him. That's why He chose us to be holy and blameless. Notice what Paul says, In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. He wanted to give us an inheritance. What does adoption mean? Adoption doesn't mean you pull them into your family. New Testament adoption means that when they're in your family, you give them full rights of the first heir. Are you all hearing me? Full rights of the first heir. That's what New Testament adoption means. It doesn't mean you go out and find a kid and go, you know, I'm going to make him part of my family. No. Adoption means he's already part of your family, but you now give him the full inheritance rights. As sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And now Paul can't help himself. He says, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he blessed us in grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Blessing, blessing, blessing. Do you know how blessed you are today? Christians go around with their lip hung down. Oh my goodness, you know, this is happening, that's happening, all this. Look up into the heavenly places. We've been chosen in Christ. He's marked us off to be holy. He's given us His full acceptance and blessings in the inheritance. But what do we say, especially as American Christians? Well, we don't have it right now. We don't have it now. You know, we'll get it right now. This world's not our home. But it's just as sure as if it's right here. And so Paul wants this spiritual, biblical truth to invade our minds so that no matter what happens on this earth, that can't be taken away. You understand that? Now, you want to know where the spiritual battle happens? Try to keep your mind fixed on that positional truth. And I'll guarantee you that the hordes will come after you because they don't want you to remember that. Things will happen in your life. Problems will happen. All kinds of distractions to take your mind off of 
you have been blessed in heavenly places. You all see how hard it is to pay attention right now? It is, isn't it? It's a challenge. Because he doesn't want you to know this truth, the enemy. But God does, and here it is. He has blessed us in the beloved. Look in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. Here is another blessing. What is redemption? Are y'all listening? What's redemption? Redemption is the purchase price that was paid for your soul. If he had never paid that price, you would still be a slave to the devil. Just like they were in the Garden of Eden, and just like mankind has been throughout ages without God. A slave to the devil. But he bought you out of the slave market of sin, and we have redemption. How? Through his blood. The blood of Jesus You know, when the Egyptians were told to come out of Egypt during the night of the Passover, this was redemption. What did God tell them? He said, put the blood on the door. Can't you hear the conversation in Egypt? Well, what about me? I've been a bad kid. I haven't done what's right. Put the blood on the door. Well, what about him? That's a defeated person. and It looks like they are just wallowing. Put the blood on the door. And when I see the blood... I will pass over you. It's not about you. It's about what the one has done for you. We have redemption. The full purchase price of our sin through His blood. Do you understand that, Christian? There is not one sin that is going to be held against you before the throne of Almighty God. Not one They've all been paid for. And so when you get down wallowing in the mud and feel like, oh, I'm the... You know you are. I know I am. But we have to remember we have been redeemed. The story is told of Martin Luther, the great reformer, you know, the German, that translated the New Testament into German from from the Roman Catholic Church. The story was told that Luther would have conversations with the devil. And one, one conversation was told where Luther said uh, the devil was accusing him of all his wretchedness. And Luther said as he was sitting there trying to write, things would come into his mind. You're this, you're that, you're that. Luther says he pulls back from his chair and says, you know what, devil, you missed about 20. You missed about 20 things that you could have said about me. Let me help you. And he began to list, I am a this, I am a that. And I am of that. And when he got through with the list, he said, Now, take my list that you are accusing me before God, and I want you to write this right on the front of it. Forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Forgiven. And taunted him. Now, I'm not telling you to do that. I'm saying Luther did that. As a matter of fact, it's told that in Wittenberg, Germany, where Luther translated the New Testament, that it said that he fought him. And, you know, when the tour guides take you there, they take you where Luther supposedly threw ink and hit the wall and, you know, all the tour guides get charcoal and rub it on there because you don't want to pay that much and not be able to see the ink, right? But most people believe that when Luther said he fought him with ink, it wasn't actually trying to throw an ink bottle at him. He fought him by the Word of God. Getting the Word of God into the hands of God's people 
And this is why the Reformers and John Wycliffe and all these men worked to translate the Bible to get it into the hands of the common man. This is why they would tell the Pope, if it is my will, the common average plowman will know more of the Word of God than you do. And this is why they fought to get the Scriptures in your hand. You have been redeemed through His blood. You understand that? What a blessing that is. Look what he goes on to say. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. And He has lots of grace. The grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. God has a plan, and He's going to bring it about. Listen to what Paul says in verse 11. I wasn't going to read this, but I just can't help myself. In Him, in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ, let me read it this way, we apostles who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory, in Him, you Ephesians also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. And by the way, you can put your name in there where he says, and you, you as a believer were guaranteed this inheritance and God guaranteed it with a down payment, which is what? The gift of the Holy Spirit when you believed. Are you all tracking with me? Oh, I wish I had four hours to go through this. Each little phrase, phrase, phrase. This is a blessing right here. This is like a golden rich can you imagine going to a hill filled with gold and trying to take an axe and getting what you can out of it with one whack? That's what it's like trying to do this in one message. I mean, what a mountain of gold here. You have been given an inheritance in Jesus. And God so guaranteed that you were going to get the inheritance that what happened? He gave you the down payment of the Spirit. In financial terms, this is the term used for the earnest money. We don't know what earnest money is now. All we know is what a credit card is. Earnest money was somebody taking something and laying down money saying, here it is, I'll be back with the full payment on X date. When you believed in Jesus, Paul said, you became God's inheritance, and guess what? Later on in Ephesians, you are going to receive an inheritance. Rich. This is rich stuff. Paul says, for this reason... Verse 15, Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom that you might understand what I just wrote to you about how rich you are and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Look in verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. I almost preached a whole ser sermon on that word, the phrase, the eyes of your heart. 
Your heart has eyes. And Paul wants your heart, your spirit, to have the eyes to see what you have in Christ Jesus. There should be no such thing as a defeated Christian if their mind is filled with this. Listen to what he says. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. Do you even fathom that? The hope He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? You have power this morning that oftentimes we do not access because we are not thinking of what is taking place and happened for us in the heavenly places. We judge our life based on everything that happens down here. Listen to what one man wrote. He says, Whatever has gone on, is going on, or will go on in your visible world is rooted in the invisible spiritual realm. If you do not know how to navigate the spiritual realm and the truths in it, you will fall in the physical realm. Just like a person who is fighting a TV or someone who's getting robbed through a movie. You can't rescue them. Why? Because our battle is not here. It's there. In light of this fact that we have been blessed with spiritual blessings, he says, in spiritual warfare, Satan tries to deceive you into believing that God is holding out on you and that it is up to you to get God to give you both blessings and victory. Satan wants you to think that if you pray more, give more, serve more, sin less, do better, or worship more, maybe God will give you more. He says when you do that, this shifts the focus off of God and what He has already done in the spiritual realm and puts the focus on you. Don't miss that. When we do that, we take the focus off of God and what He has done for us and what He says He has done, and it puts it right here on me. Old self again. I-itis. And we're all infected with it. Lord, me, what about... Stop that, this man says. He has already done in the spiritual realm and puts the focus on you and what you need to do in the physical realm. Doing those things in the physical realm is good and beneficial for your spiritual growth and cultivating intimacy with God and others, but those things are not the keys to accessing what God has already done for you in the spiritual realm. It's, it's biblical truth that is stated in God's Word and has to be obtained by faith. This is where your faith comes into practice in the written Word of God. This is why we pound all the time. This is truth. This is truth. Not a man's opinion. Not what a man thinks about something. Forget all that. Right there in the text. You want to know what truth is? It's God's Word. And the battle for your mind and the battle for your soul is to make you either think that it's not true or that you're smarter than God and that we know more than He does. And by the way, I've read a bunch of theologians that think they're smarter than God's Word. But they're wrong. And God didn't write His Word for scholars. He wrote it for the common average man. That you might obtain it. 
You might understand it. You might absorb it. And you might live it. You have been blessed in the heavenly places. You're rich in Jesus. And all of these truths are right here in the text of the Word of God for what He has done for us. Our battle may take place in the heavenly places, but our blessings outweigh our battles. And you have to plug in to the blessings. Now look at number three. If we desire to access these spiritual blessings, we have to be where the victory is. You ready for the next verse? You say, yes, I am. Get there. Okay, I am. Verse 19, or back in 18, Having the eyes of your hearts in light, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Where is our victor? He is in the heavenly places. Notice what Paul goes on to say, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that's named. Now, I'm helping you connect the dots here. Ephesians chapter 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers and things. So now, when you feel the spiritual warfare come, what does Paul say to do? Go fear? Go bite your fingernails and only think about Satan and the evil thing? Is that what he says? He says, absolutely not. You stand firm. Stand firm. Knowing that we, are, we have been blessed in the heavenly realm. He chose us. He marked us off to be holy. He's promised us. He's given us adoption and full rights into the family. He's given us spiritual power. He's given us access in the second heaven, third heaven, to receive the blessings from our Savior. We are rich in Christ. So when the enemy comes after you, you stand firm. You go back to chapter 1 and you read that before the foundation of the world, He chose you in Him. And marked you off. He redeemed you. We're rich. And not only that, what I just read here was the same resurrection power that God used when He raised Christ from the dead lives in you. (laughs) The same power that He used to raise Christ from the dead is the same power that you have to say no to sin, yes to God, and to believe and access spiritual truth, and by grace through faith accept that as true. What is faith, by the way? (laughs) How do you access the power of this truth? One man wrote, the way to access the power of your blessings is through a biblical understanding and application of grace through faith. In grace, God has made every believer complete in Christ. And in order to do that, we have to accept it by faith. Grace is the point of access to God. The way we enter this point is through faith. Listen to this. Faith is acting as if God is telling the truth. Even though you can't see it. Even though you don't feel it. Faith is believing and acting as if God is telling the truth. It's acting as if something is true even when it doesn't appear to be true. 
in order that it might be shown to be true simply because God said so. And that's what faith is. Faith is taking God at His word even when it doesn't make sense. Because the last page hasn't been turned. We're rich in Him. We've been blessed in the heavenlies. Now that may seem a little bit deep, but Paul wrote it to the Ephesians who didn't even have a New Testament. And if Paul wanted them to hear it and understand it, I think God wants us to. And that's why we read the text of the Word of God so that you hear it and hopefully get one eighty-fourth of it. What a blessing. And then Paul writes in verse 19, what did Jesus, God do? He set Him above every dominion and power and name and set Him at the right hand of the throne of God and we have access directly to Him today. Listen to me closely. There is no spiritual wickedness or force or demon or devil or anything or anybody else that can even touch you without going through the filter of Almighty God and Him giving permission to do it. And even if He does allow it, He gives the grace to enable us to ward it off. He does not want His children running around in fear. He has not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us the Word of God so that we can stand firm. When you hear those cries, you're worthless, you're rotten, how could God love you? Look at what's happened in your life. Look at somebody who died. If God was good, God would have never let that person die in your life. If God was good, this would have not happened in your life. If, when you hear those, listen to me carefully, those are lies from the enemy. When you hear that come into your life, do just exactly what Luther did. Go right back to the Word of God and say, I know where my attack's coming from. Now, let me show you where my answer is. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, who has blessed us with every blessing in the heavenlies. And circle all of these blessings down to Ephesians 1. Are you listening? And start praying them back to God. Oh, God Thank you that you have blessed me in the heavenly places. Thank you that you chose me, even though I don't understand that before the foundation of the world. Thank you that you redeemed me. Thank you that you have adopted me. Thank you that you've given me an inheritance. Thank you that you've given me the power to stand against the wiles of the enemy. Thank you, O God. Pray Scripture back to Him. Let me tell you something. Things won't last long in that environment. You start praying God's Word back, the enemy flees and this is why martin luther wrote the great hymn a mighty fortress is our god i had that sung at my ordination by the way one line in that beautiful hymn maybe somebody will sing it next week one little word shall fail him one word of truth from god will cut his feet out He can't handle it. We are blessed in the heavenlies. The fourth spiritual truth is, and by the way, this is wonderful, that in order to be in the heavenlies, we have to have access to the heavenlies. And Paul writes this, verses 1 through 3. This is, everybody, I can't get off or I'll preach this because it's so good. We were dead. But now we're alive. You should read this and make it part of your life. 
But Paul says here in verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Are you looking at verse 6? This is a blessing. This is, this is positional truth here. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If you have trusted Christ and you've been redeemed by His blood, put your finger right there on the text. Raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You have been positionally seated in the heavenlies. You are just as good as there. Because you are. You are there. Now, by the way, if you remember, Paul wrote Galatians, Ephesians, or Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Those are prison epistles. He wrote them while he was in prison. The parallel epistle to this is Colossians. So if you turn over to the book of Colossians and you read chapter 1, Paul talks about being transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. What does that mean? That is positional truth. It's the same thing he wrote in Ephesians chapter 2. We have been transferred. It is not a full reality yet. You're not literally sitting in the heavenly places. But you are. You're as well as being there. And you've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and you've been placed into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Positional truth. So back in Ephesians chapter 2, He raised us up, seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why did He do that? Look in verse 7. So that in the ages to come, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He seated us there with Christ so that He could lavish us with more grace yet out in the future. Now, I'm not shaming you this morning at all. But we don't show our emotion in the West quite like people do around other parts of the world. One of the reasons that I loved mission work was because you go into these poor countries over in Egypt where people make eight, ten dollars a month. They don't understand what lavishness is, what riches are. And you share a passage like this with some poor, hopeless, living in socialism, no way to get out, and you let them know that they're rich in Christ. I want you to listen to me. They burst. You're teaching through a passage like this and they and tear stains are going down their face, landing on the desk in front of them and puddles of water fill the, the front of them. I have seen it before. Just floods of joy come over them. They're blessed. We begin to pray what? Oh God, make my heart to understand that. Make me that joyful to understand how blessed we are. That even though we live here in America and we are blessed almost like we live in heaven now, that if you can imagine this, there's going to be even more grace than this. That He's going to lavish upon us. Now why does He allow 
spiritual forces. You know, the fourth point here is that we are positionally seated with Him in heavenly places, but look at this last one. We are being used by God right now to demonstrate His grace and superiority to the spirit world as we live in the truth of Jesus. Now, are y'all ready for this? this? This gets a little bit heavy. Because we don't understand what all is going on, but Paul's going to let us know here. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. Paul's going to say why he allows this to happen. He writes, verse 7 is what I'm going to start reading. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Did you see that? Did you see that? God is using us as a display table to allow things in our life to bear witness to what does He say? That the wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God is saying this. Now you watch my child down there. And when they go through this hardship in their life, you can pound them all you want. Because they're going to trust me. And I'm going to give them the grace to get through that depression. To get through that anxiety. To get through that sickness. To get through that death. To get through that problem. And they're going to come out of there praising me. Now strange and mysterious are the ways of God. You would think that God would just say, demons and wickedness and rulers and authorities, I'm banishing you to another planet. Nope. God puts them here, puts them on a leash, and allows them to have their day for now. And they try and they try to discourage and torment and do what they can. But God here in this text, Paul writes, that God allows that so that the manifold grace of God lived out through His people can put them to shame. So think of it this way. The next time that your eyes are lured to something dirty on your phone or your computer, and you're getting ready to scroll through something you know you shouldn't look at. I want you to get this picture in your mind. There's a spiritual force behind you going, go ahead, go ahead. You will like it. It'll bring you satisfaction. You know you need it. At the same time, the grace of God living in you says you have been given resurrection power to not only get off of that site, but to absolutely turn that off. And instead of looking at something you shouldn't, sing praise. Give glory to God. Quote text. Give a hymn. Quote scripture. Sing something. And you fight that off. And by the way, when you do that, guess what Paul says happens in Ephesians 3.10? God 
is showing the angelic rulers and demons and all the things in spiritual places that we can't see, the manifold wisdom of His grace lived out in the sons of Adam, redeemed by the blood of Jesus. He's letting us be part of the battle. And He's getting the glory from it. Now, this is why the New Testament writers could say with confidence that the believer has nothing to fear. Are you ready for a blessing? Has this been a blessing today? I mean, I'm not sure if it has or not. I hope it has. I've had fun anyway. This is, this is wonderful from God. But listen to what Paul writes in Romans 16.20. You'll see it again next week. He tells the Romans who were fighting and quarreling among each other, by the way. They had Jews and Gentiles. Couldn't get along with each other. And Paul wrote, and he told him. he said, now, listen to me, church. The God of peace, who wants you as Christians to live at peace with one, one another, He's your strength of peace. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. He will crush him. Do you know where that terminology comes from? This is your assignment next week. Go read Genesis 3 and 4. Very carefully. And plot out the scheme of the evil one. How did he bring about lies and murder? Whoops, I just told you two of them, didn't I? How did he do that? And what does he try to do in your life? When the, when the Lord came down and talked to the serpent, He said, you will bruise His heel, but He will crush your head. God has never forgotten that. And then my favorite, favorite passage of all, I'll share it with you now. Romans chapter 8, 37 and 39. This is in a big exhortation Paul gives about the love of God and the grace of God. He says, in all these things, you know, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, peril, naked, the sword? Shall any of those things? He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Now, if Paul believed that a, a believer could be defeated by a demon or by the devil or by some spiritual force, what would he have said? Hide in your room. Bite your fingernail. He says, we are more than conquerors. Through Christ. Through Him who loved us. How do we defeat? Through Him. When they attack, we go to the heavenly places. We claim the blessings. By the way, this is one time I will say you can claim the blessings. The blessings of redemption. Election. Woo! It's good stuff. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am, I like the King James, persuaded. ESV says, I am sure. Another version says, I am confident that neither, are you ready? Death. Doesn't matter how you die. Do you realize you can die of cancer? You can die of a car crash? You can die of being shot or stabbed? If you live in Chicago, chances are greater of that than cancer. You can die any way you want to die. You can die in a plane accident. Die any way. You're going to die. 
If Jesus doesn't come, listen to me, everyone in here, you're going to die. And everyone that you know is going to die. Not one person is going to escape death in this physical body. We have to accept that. It's as much a part of life as life itself. But neither death can't change the love of Christ. Are you listening? It doesn't matter how you die. You know, as a pastor, you hear people say sometimes, well, such and such was burned up in a fire that was terrible. Yes, they're a believer in Christ. They're in heaven. They died this way. They suffered. Yes, but they're not anymore. Death cannot separate us from the love of Christ, and it doesn't matter how we die. The Apostle Paul, are y'all listening? Had his head sliced off with a sword. Can you all imagine what that would feel like? You know what Paul said? I am ready to be poured out as a drink offering. Cut my head off. Cut my head off and put me wherever you want to. My life is a drink offering to our Lord because I know who has the resurrection power of the body. I know. And this life doesn't tell the last story. No, I am convinced in all these things we are more than conquerors. For I am sure that neither death nor life. What does this mean? Life. Life itself. What all happens in life, by the way? There are some things that are worse than death. You ever thought about a POW or someone that's captured? I read a book a couple of summers ago about a POW that was captured and had to live off of dirt and grass soup. All the teeth rotted out, the bones weakened, all skin just absolutely withered away. Wanted to die but couldn't kill themselves in there. Ended up escaping and getting out. You know, there are some things that are worse than death, by the way. Neither death, nor let me put John's translation here, anything that can happen to you during your earthly life can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. So Christian, stop thinking when something happens to you that it's God getting revenge on you or God not being good. No, God's love remains. You say, well, explain that. I can't. Don't ask me to explain that. I'm just telling you what the text of God's Word says. And you have to, by faith, believe that. That even though it doesn't feel like it's true, it's true. And the reason it's true is because God said it's true. And that's what faith is. Neither death nor life, y'all ready? Nor angels. No fallen angel, no angel of any kind can ever separate you from the love of God in Christ. Stop worrying about that. Nor angels, nor rulers. Now he's not talking about Democrats or Republicans here. He's talking about the rulers in the heavenly places which probably control those people. Those rulers. Nor things present. What we're living through in America or if you want to put yourself in China. You want to put yourself in Russia. Boy, the world's heating up, isn't it? Y'all notice what's going on? China has felt a little crack and they're coming out with a hard fist and they want to dominate the world. Russia has seen weakness. They have smelled blood in the water. And they are taunting and fighting. What does the Word of God say? That in the end time, what will happen? 
those two great powers, the armies of the east and the armies of the north, will align together under one great type religion. Who else is in that region of the world? Islam. And they will come out of the north, which is somewhere around the area of Turkey. And what will happen in that? They will unite. They'll fight anybody fights against them. And what will happen? They'll try to invade the Holy Land. Y'all know what's happening. By the way, on Wednesday, we're having Jack Kurtz here from Israel. And I'm not sure how much of a prophecy guy he is, but he's going to get a lot of questions. Because I've got a bunch of them. So you can come on Wednesday. But the point here is there's a lot of things going on in life. Do those things worry us? Y'all tell the truth. Corona. I'm tired of that word, but get ready. Are y'all ready for this? The Delta strand is coming. And now everybody run behind your rock and forget every other person and let everybody die but you. Now, listen to me. Stop thinking like that as a Christian. Neither death nor things in this life, if that happens again, what do we do? We use common sense, but we don't live our life in fear. Because death can't separate us, life can't separate us, and nothing in this life can separate us. Nor powers, uh, I'm sorry, nor things to come. Well, it's a whole sermon series here. Nor things to come. Are you afraid about the future? Somebody sent me something. It was actually a, a, my wife sent me this story, a little poem. Somebody people posted on Facebook about, stop fretting about your children in this world. Oh, I hate that my children have to grow up in this wicked, evil world. It's got all this. You know what? Stop that. Let's prepare them as warriors and say, you know what? Greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. Sin has teeth. Sin has consequences. You go out there and you live for Jesus unashamedly. You speak for Him. You don't be afraid of Him. Quit trying to climb the ladder and grab all the money in this world because you're going to let every dime go, son, and live for Jesus. And quit trying to mark your success in this world because you're going to give it away. Things to come can't separate us nor anything else in all the creation. You know what that means? Whatever else can come into your little mind. Oh, what about this? What about that? Paul says, nothing else. So let me read it this way. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because we have been blessed, we have been saved, and we belong to Him. Father, thank You this morning for Your Word and for the truth that it brings to our life. May You break down all strongholds, May you get glory from our life. May you empower us for the battle, as Paul says, but having done all to stand. Thank you for giving us your word, which we can place our faith in and know that it's true because you said it's true. And help us to rest there and to believe you 
even when our eyes and our life tell us otherwise. Give us the eyes of faith, as Paul prays, that the eyes of our hearts may understand, even though the eyes of our body can't. And we will thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.